energy. So this guy in the fantasy baseball chat is just ripping me. He's calling me names for how I handled my team. Buddy, you had 20 weeks for your own team to play better. Don't be mad at me. The passion. Mac Jones is fighting not just for his Patriots job, but he very well may be fighting for his NFL future. The opinions on all your favorite teams. For the Red Sox, it can't always be about next year. It can't always be about down the road. Where's the team that battles for now? This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. What's up, everybody? A very happy Monday here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEBradio.com. They are here. The full shows. They are here. Red Sox season is sadly over, but we are here as the beneficiaries of that all 90 minutes today, 5.30 until 7 o'clock. So all 90 minutes coming up a lot today, especially we need it. Danny and I were going through our pre-show meetings today. We couldn't believe how much stuff there was to talk about. It's like a gift from the sports gods today, talking about a lot of this stuff. The Tim Wakefield stuff is horrible, but from a content perspective, there's a lot to get to. We will talk about Tim Wakefield. We will talk a little bit about the Celtics trade. Kind of step back. We're going to do deep dives on the Celtics tomorrow, deep dives on the Red Sox with TC on Wednesday. We will mention, again, the tragic passing of Tim Wakefield in the 6 o'clock hour. We'll talk about the Vermont Milk Bowl today with Nick Mumley. I'm grateful for all the content today outside of the Wakefield news that it's absolutely gutting for, I know, so many fans in our region, so many Red Sox fans. And I will tell you kind of my one word to describe Tim Wakefield when we talk about him in the 6 o'clock hour. Beyond that, going to be a lot of Patriots talk today. And, oh, do we have some things to say about them. Again, Nick Mumley, our WDEV Racing Insider, will join us at about 6.40 talking about the Milk Bowl. But, Danny, let's waste no time. Let go. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show were brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Rouse's Point. They are also uh, at Swanton Lumber, and they're online at sticksandstuff.com. You can get in on the text line, 802-585-3026. Lots of things to talk about. I want to hear from you today. Your thoughts on the Patriots, your thoughts on Drew Holiday, your thoughts and memories of Tim Wakefield, and your thoughts on the Milk Bowl. I want to hear from all of you on all of it. Again, 585-3026. Patriots get beat by the Dallas Cowboys 38-3. to Now, before I get all up in arms about the Patriots, and I promise you, I likely will, before I do that, I'm going to start the show with four simple words. Right Before I get angry, before I yell, the show starts with four simple words. And if you're watching on video on Facebook Live or on YouTube, you're going to see me count out those words. The first word is I. The second word is, word is told. The third word is you. And the fourth word is so. That's it. Okay. The four words for the Patriots right now are that simple. I told you so. That is the only place to start today. And I really, I promise you, I really don't want to be taking a victory lap on this stuff. But this is what I've told you the Patriots were. Was it not? Didn't I say this all offseason? Didn't I say this all preseason? Didn't I say this leading into week one? 
There were some people out there who agreed with me, and you know who you are. And there were other people who laughed at me and yelled at their radio about me and complained to my bosses about me. Oh, he's too negative. Oh, he gets too worked up. Oh, give it time, Brady. Give it time. We got a CEO and Bill we trust. You all, some of you were out there and you know who you were are as well. Isn't this exactly what I told you the Patriots were? Let me recap this for you as succinctly and as quickly as possible. Through four weeks of an NFL season, this is what the Patriots are. They are one in three, and they got there in the following manners. One, the New England Patriots are a team that needs everything to go right for them in order to win games, right? I have said that all along. When you don't have raw physical talent, a raw enough physical talent, you better have all the other things, right? When you can't just out-athlete and out-explosive yourself into a victory, you better have everything else. You better have you better have luck. You better have discipline. You better have execution. You better get the calls. All of that needs to go your way, and the Patriots right now through four games don't have that and aren't getting that, and that is why they are exactly where I thought they could be. Right? Against Philly, they fumble the football. They can't keep their feet in bounds. They commit penalties. They lose. Right? That simple. Against Miami, they throw a bad red zone pick. They have a bad fumble. They commit penalties. They lose. Things are not going all their way. They are not playing clean games, perfect games. And therefore, they are losing. Against the Jets, they get the break, right? I never wish injury on anybody. But you got to play Zach Wilson instead of Aaron Rodgers. So you get the break in week three, you capitalize, and you win. And then finally, yesterday, I mean, where do you start on this? Okay, where do you start? Think about the New England Patriots like a baseball pitcher. It's the easiest analogy I can think about, Danny. When you have a pitcher who throws 100 miles an hour, well, that guy can get away with some stuff, right? A 100-mile-an-hour fastball can walk the leadoff guy. Why? Because he'll strike out the next three. A 100-mile-an-hour fastball can get down in the count 2-0. and Why? Because he'll pipe in the next three right past you. A 100-mile-an-hour fastball can miss right down the middle, and you're going to get away. He's going to get away with it. Why? Because you're going to miss it. When you throw 87 miles an hour, you don't get away with anything because every mistake you make is magnified and every mistake you make gets crushed. And that's who the Patriots are. And that's who I feared they would be. That's who I told you they would be. And that is what they've become. They have become the pitcher with the 87-mile-an-hour fastball, who when he walks the leadoff guy, it turns into a four-run inning, who when he gets behind 2-0, and it turns into a four-run inning, who when he pipes an 87-mile-an-hour fastball that's supposed to be off the black by two inches and it comes over the middle, it gets hit 502 feet. That is who the Patriots are. I mean, where do you even start yesterday? I mean, they were bad at every part of it. They got beat 38-3 to for a reason, didn't they? Mac Jones looked like a deer in the headlights. Worst game I've seen him play from a confidence and comfort level that I can remember. They committed six penalties. How many of those were on Michael Wainu? At least three of them. 
They turned it over. They can't force turnovers. They don't get it when they go forward on fourth down. And then, oh, by the way, this week they lost the injury battle with both Matthew Judon and Christian Gonzalez, two of their most impactful and important defensive players, getting out. And Judon very well might be out for the season. Yesterday was a complete and abject disaster and a complete and abject failure. And nobody is immune from it. It was, for my money, the in the top two of most embarrassing games I've ever been a part of since I got to New England. Top two most embarrassing games. Now, they got killed a few times with Cam in the COVID-2020 season. They got destroyed a couple of times with Cam. Cam got benched a few times. They got beat the day before this show, right? My birthday is October 24th. This, the, the Patriots played the San Francisco 49ers on my birthday in 2020. The first day of this show was October 25th, the day after my birthday. The Patriots got run all over by somebody named Jeff Wilson, and the first show here started off in a negative tone because I was crushing the Patriots then like I'm crushing them now. That might have been the most embarrassing game that I've ever seen the Patriots play in my seven years, now eight seasons or whatever it is, in New England. But yesterday is right up there. I mean, yesterday was an absolute train wreck. An absolute train wreck. And as for, you know, what else the Patriots are in 2023, that they are, I've told you, they are a team that cannot afford to get behind. I have said that all along. But what do they continue to do? They continue to get behind. And they continue to get behind big. They are a team that needs everything to go right for them, as I just said. But part of everything going right for you is playing on schedule. A lot of teams are like that. The Patriots are not the only one. But they need to play on schedule. They need to play in front of the chains. They are not built to come back from 10 nothing, They are not built to come back from 14-3. They are not built to come back from 21-6. There's a couple of teams in the league that are. Most teams aren't. The Patriots are not one of them, but yet they keep, they keep getting behind. They keep getting behind big. It's embarrassing, and it's deflating. When you get behind 18-3 and 28-3, You can't run the football. You can't have balance. You become predictable. Your bad offensive line gets run over by defensive linemen who can just worry about getting the quarterback because they don't have to worry about the run. You're not built to play catch-up. You don't have the star power to play catch-up. Right? Talk about baseball again. If the Braves get down 4 nothing in the first inning, I don't really care. Why? Olsen, Acuna, Riley, Murphy, Albies, Ozuna, star power. They can come back. If the Pittsburgh Pirates get down 4 nothing, it's probably over. Danny's a big basketball guy. If the Golden State Warriors get down 28-10, to not as big a worry. Why? Stephen Clay, for years. If the Charlotte Hornets get down 28-10, to that game's probably over. Okay? The Chiefs can come back from deficits. The Dolphins can come back. The Bills can come back. The Patriots can't. And they get down, they get down big, and when they do, it's largely over, and it was over yesterday. Danny, I was floored by this stat. In the last 10 games, 
The Patriots have had to overcome deficits in every one of them, with the exception of the Jets, and a lot of them have been big. They got down 17-7 last year on Thursday night against Buffalo. Got blown out. They got down 13-7 against Arizona on Monday Night Football and won, but that was when Colt McCoy was playing. Kyler Murray tore his ACL. They got down 17-3 against the Raiders in Vegas, lost on the Jacoby Myers, uh, Ramondre Stevenson clown show lateral, or the game became a clown show, but on that bad play. They got down 22 nothing last year against the Bengals. They got down by seven against Miami last year. They got down on the opening kickoff again against Buffalo last year. 16 nothing against the Eagles. 17-3 against Miami this year. 18-3 against Dallas. You keep on getting down big. And do you know what contributes to those deficits? Self-inflicted wounds. And you know what you keep giving yourself? Self-inflicted wounds. Right before Mac gets strip-sacked yesterday, right, the strip-sack, Leighton Vanderesh takes the in, in for the touchdown deep in your own territory, there's a Michael Wayne who false start. And I'm not absolving Mac Jones, but when first and 10 becomes first and 15, you become largely predictable. And the defense can come after you. That's not playing on schedule. That's not playing from in front of the chains. Because on first and 10, maybe you can throw a quick pass for three yards to get out of the shadow of your own end zone. On first and ten, maybe you can run the ball and run it up the middle for four yards, and it's second and six, and now that's manageable. Instead, it's first and 15, and now you are in a passing situation where they're coming after you. You've got to allow your guys to get down the field deeper. Mac's got to hold the ball longer, and now Mac gets guys coming after him. I'm not absolving Mac Jones, but that play was not all his fault. When you get to first and 15 and you're the Patriots, you are screwed, and they keep doing things like that we ask oh what are the patriot what's the patriots identity you know what their identity is they're the team that makes mistakes and they can't afford to make mistakes but they keep doing it it happens all the time and you have a one in three team that just plain looked out of it yesterday and looks out of it in the grand scheme of things in the afc it's completely embarrassing i consider it unacceptable but you know what else i told you so i told you so i told you that this was going to happen text line open 802-585-3026 glennon brookfield patriots have no quarterback and no depth it breaks my heart about tim wakefield and russ francis uh patriots should get a good draft pick you were absolutely right brady will and plattsburgh says pats should have stayed home unprepared on both sides of the ball it was terrible travis says I think Mac Jones and the Patriots need a change of scenery. We can talk about that as we move forward as well. It was completely embarrassing, and it was embarrassing in every single part of it. And the Patriots have done this to themselves. One last I told you so moment for the 5 o'clock hour. One last I told you so moment. This isn't that hard to predict. But let me lay it out for you one more time here. We're talking about Mac Jones. Let me lay out the truth. Not hate, truth. Mac Jones is not a special quarterback. I have said that since the night that Mac Jones was drafted. He is not a special quarterback. That does not mean that he's bad. But he does not have the raw talent of Justin Herbert, of Patrick Mahomes, of Lamar Jackson, 
Guys like that who have special talent and special gifts. When you have quarterbacks like that, like Josh Allen, you can overcome some deformities on your roster, right? Oh, the defense isn't that great? Okay, Herbert can score 37 if he needs to. Ah, the offensive line isn't so good? Okay, Lamar Jackson will buy some time and he'll make up for it. Oh, Mahomes, he can come back. Oh, we got Allen, he can come back. Patriots don't have that. The truly special ones can overcome some stuff and can overcome it when you need them to. You had it forever with Tom Brady. Those guys that are so good that the roster around them doesn't need to be so good. It all helps, but it doesn't have to be. You don't have that quarterback. You selected a quarterback that's not that. Okay, fine. Well, when you have a quarterback that isn't a hero, you need to do what? You need to give him lots of help, right? Here's how you can win in the NFL. You can have an A quarterback and a C supporting cast, right? You can have a C quarterback and an A supporting cast. You can't have C's all around, which is what the Patriots have, and that's their problem. They didn't draft an A quarterback, and they didn't give their C quarterback an A supporting cast. That's their problem. I've said it before. I will say it again. Mac Jones isn't special enough to overcome this roster and this lack of help. Look around the league. Some teams have A quarterbacks, and the teams that don't, the smart ones, are doing what they can to help out their guy, right? Tua Tagovailoa, is he that much better than Mac? I would say not. He's got an offensive-minded head coach in Mike McDaniel. He's got Jalen Waddell. He's got Tyreek Hill, and he's got un- up umpteen running backs, apparently, who run like four threes. He's getting some help. Is Geno Smith, who we're going to see tonight, significantly better than Mac Jones? I would say he's a little bit better, but he's not significantly better. He's also a decade older. But he's got DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Jackson Smith and Jigba. They drafted him two offensive tackles last year. I don't think either one of them are going to play tonight, but beside the point, they've done some stuff to help Geno. Heck, even Jimmy Garoppolo has Devontae Adams. Ryan Tannehill's not that much better than Mac Jones, but yet when he had A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry, he was the number one seed in the AFC playoffs. Mediocre QBs with great talent around them have a chance. Alex Smith did it with Kansas City, right? Mediocre quarterback, great talent. Kirk Cousins won 13 games last year. It can be done. A quarterback, C roster can work. C quarterback, A roster can work. C roster, C quarterback doesn't work. That's what the Patriots have. And Mac Jones doesn't really have a chance. Everyone's complaining about Mac and saying that he stinks and they want him gone. I can't even really blame him at this point because he's not being given a chance to succeed. I told you forever he wasn't special. I predicted this. I said they needed help. They needed to give him help. They haven't given him any. And it frustrates the hell out of me. Travis says, special uh, quarterbacks don't grow on trees. How do you know Mac can elevate an offense? The Patriots haven't done well drafting on the outside of the ball. They need to give him help, right? They could have traded for Devontae Adams last year, but Vegas did it. They could have traded for uh, – they, they could have gone out and signed – a big-name wide receiver any of the last two years. They didn't do it. They could have drafted a wide receiver instead of a guard in the first round in 2022. They could have drafted a wide receiver instead of Christian Gonzalez this year. They could have drafted a wide receiver in round two instead of Keon White this year. They have not given him enough help. 
I don't think Mac is that great. I've said that from the start. But at some point, you got to help your quarterback. And they haven't done it. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Uh, Texter says, that's true. Jones is a C quarterback. Kyle in South Burlington says, Brady, I agree with you. Think of your, uh, I agree with your line of thinking about Mac Jones. Look at the Steelers. They're young quarterback. Uh, Kenny Pickett is struggling right now. He's got a good offensive unit, but a terrible offensive coach. Kenny Pickett is, you know, he's, he's kind of the same as Mac Jones right now, right? They've got some players for him. They've got a coaching setup for him. Now maybe, maybe Kenny Pickett's just not very good, but at least Pittsburgh's going to know, right? They've done things to help him. And if he can't do it, then we just know he's not very good and you move on. I don't even know how good Mac is because he's not getting a lot of help. Usually, Danny, you know what? I don't even want to break. Usually at this time we break and then we come back and unpack the Patriots. Let's just roll right into it. Give me, give me the, give me the NFL primetime music because I just, let's unpack the Patriots as we go here because this is, I mean, I don't even know how we're going to do unpacking the Patriots, frankly. Usually unpacking the Patriots is like, oh, we do good, then bad, good, then bad, good, then bad. What good is there? Like, what good was there out of yesterday? Danny, play me the, the sounder here. Which Patriots popped? To the 30. Zero. To the 20. He is end zone bound. Pick six. Touchdown, Patriots. And which ones flopped? All of them. Up in the pocket. Unloads a deep ball, and it's intercepted. That'll put the cherry on top. We unpack the Patriots now on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. I mean, seriously, we unpack the Patriots every week, good then bad. What piece of good was there? You get beat 38-3. to We made a field goal. <laughs> you also missed one. Yep. I mean, like, what good... Was there? I can't point. Somebody help me. 802-585-3026. I can't point to one thing that went well yesterday. Let's just run down the list. Unpacking the Patriots. Here you go. All bad things. Patriots turned it over three times. Forced none. That's not going to win a lot of games. Right? You turn it over three times, other team turns it over zero, you don't win a lot. Patriots went 4 of 13 on third down. They went 0 of 2 on fourth down. So combined... 4 of 15 in third and fourth down situations. Dallas, 8 for 16. Patriots, significantly worse there. Patriots ran it for 53 yards. They allowed 124 rushing yards. When you're down big, you can't run. You can't be balanced. You can't do half your offense, especially the Patriots are supposed to be a run-first team, ground-and-pound team. Well, half the playbook gets thrown out when you're down 18 to 3. So you can't run. Other team can. That's no good. Pats got outgained in the pass game also. Pats went 0-for-1 in the red zone. Pats missed a field goal. Patriots had one player with more than two catches yesterday. One player, Hunter Henry, with more than two catches. Stop me when I get to something good here. Because I haven't found it yet. I mean, the Patriots committed more penalties. The Patriots committed more penalties for more yards. They ran less plays. They had 10 minutes less time of possession. And, oh, yeah, by the way, two of your best defensive players got hurt, and Judon's got a bicep injury, and he very well might be out for the season. I always say there's good and bad in every situation. I've always said that, right? Life is not good or bad. Life is good and bad. I've always said that. I've always believed it. Not yesterday. 
This was not good and bad. This was good or bad, and it was all bad. It was bad from start to finish. The one ray of sunshine is that Dallas was one for four in the red zone. So your defense held up and kept them out of the end zone 75% of the time they were in the red zone. They gave up the touchdown pass to CeeDee Lamb at the 20. Doesn't count as the red zone. But nonetheless, Patriots, three of four stopping Dallas on, on uh, in the red zone. I guess there's that. And, oh, uh, the Patriots had three sacks. There's your glass 111th full for the day. Okay? 111th of full for the day. I, I can't think of anything. I can't think of anything other than what I just meekly told you was good for the Patriots. And sticking with the bad, not only did they execute bad, people are calling out their effort level. Danny, did you hear Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston? He said he thinks Mac Jones quit on the team yesterday. He's still the same high floor, low ceiling quarterback he was coming into the game with five touchdowns, two picks, and a 67% completion percentage. It was a horrible day, and I hate the way he seemed to quit on the game and his compete. Mm. I hate that, and it really is the most alarming thing about this game to me in terms of Mac Jones, but you got to make it work for the next five months. Look, we could talk about Mac's future in the 6 o'clock hour. I didn't think that just Mac. I, I thought the whole team quit yesterday, frankly. And I'll start with the coaches. I thought the coaches quit yesterday on the Patriots before the players did. Okay, Mac Jones struggled. Mac Jones looked like he was seeing ghosts. Mac Jones didn't look comfortable. Mac Jones looked horrible. I didn't necessarily think that Mac Jones quit. Danny, I texted you, I think, during the game, and I think I said, this is ugly, they've quit. Did I did I text that to you, or is that somebody else? I didn't get that text. Okay, I told somebody that they've quit, and I blame the coaches for that. You come out of halftime, you're down 28-3. to There's no urgency there. There's no up-tempo. There's no play action. There's no no-huddle. There's no going for it on fourth down. There was run, run, pass, punt. That's it. Okay? They I did, they did go for it on fourth, and Max threw the pick right after halftime. So let me amend that statement. But beyond that, there was no urgency. No sense of urgency. So did Mac quit? I, I don't necessarily think so. I think Mac played horribly. I think the team quit on him. I think the play calling and the coaching quit on him. I think the mentality was bad in the second half. They, they gave up. I barely even had to pay attention after halftime because you could just tell right away that that game, they didn't think there was any chance of them getting back into it. Okay, There was no chance of them getting back into it, not with that attitude, not with that uh, with, with that livelihood or lack thereof. Texter says, best thing for the Patriots is their flight was on time. When do we ask the question, is Belichick on the hot seat? Oh, trust me, it's being asked. Okay, it's being asked. There are plenty of people talking about it. We got audio. Danny, we had 60 things of audio today to go through. Mike Reese is talking about it. And Tom Curran's talking about it. And Andrew Callahan's talking about it. Everybody's talking about Belichick and his future. And how long can this go on? And does Belichick need to stop being the GM? And does he need to stop being the head coach? And is he not involved enough? And is he behind the times? Everybody's talking about it. I can tell you what I think. I put this on Belichick. There's no doubt in my mind. I put this on Bill Belichick. Not Bill Belichick, the coach, but Bill Belichick, the GM. He thinks he's so smart, zigging while everyone zags. And you know what he's doing? He's zigging his way to 1-3 and three and getting beat 38-3. to three. The Patriots were atrocious yesterday, right? Belichick wants to be a run-first team. Great. Where's your other running back there 
behind Ramondre Stevenson other than to beat down Zeke. Even though Zeke's been okay, I don't trust him for 17 games. Where is your second running back behind Ramondre Stevenson? Pete Carroll wants to run the football, and he's drafted running backs in the second round each of the last two years. And people mock him for it, but he's at least committed to something. Bill Belichick wants to be a run-first team, and we're playing with Ramondre Stevenson and 30-plus-year-old running backs. Oh, you want to be a run-first team? Well, where's your offensive line investment at high levels? Right? Five years ago, the Patriots had Joe Tooney and Ted Karras and Shaq Mason. They're all gone. Okay, you still got David Andrews, but where's your true investment in the offensive line? This team didn't get uh, the guy who's at Kansas City now who keeps committing the penalties there. They didn't get Teron Armstead. They, they didn't make any of those moves. Okay? They, they're not a pass-first team, but if they wanted to be, they're not even close to that. Right? They haven't invested at wide receiver. So I blame Bill Belichick, the GM, for the mess the Patriots are in. And Mac Jones is a recipient of that mess. I'm not absolving him. Mac Jones is not a great quarterback. But not great quarterbacks can have success when their team does the right thing around them. And the Patriots aren't doing that for Mac. They're not doing it for Mac. We'll talk a little bit more about Mac coming up next on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. We'll step aside. We'll get the CBS News update. More of your texts coming in. And then, again, the future of Mac Jones. People are starting to talk about it. We've been talking about it for months. The people are joining the conversation. That's next. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Again, if you're just joining us, we've got kind of a uh, an interesting week on on deck here on the Brady Farkas Show. We have full shows on 90 Minutes. we got so much going on that we're kind of kind of giving certain teams majority on certain days. So today is mostly a Patriots day. Tomorrow is going to be a lot of Celtics talk. We will get a little bit to Drew Holiday now, but Celtics media day was today. We're going to do a deep dive on the Seas tomorrow. Wednesday we're going to do a deep dive on the Red Sox. We will still talk about Tim Wakefield today. But Tom Karen of Nesson is going to be with us on Wednesday. We'll kind of do a deep season dive a season end wrap up on the Red Sox on Wednesday, right? So we got a lot of things to get to over the course of the next five days here this week. Let's just continue on here with the Patriots again. Nick Mumley is going to talk milk bowl with us about 6:40, but before we get to Nick, let's just go. Let's go. Just continue on with the Patriots. There is this crowd of people out there that wants Bailey Zappi as the quarterback, and I ask you, this is a true and honest question. I'm not mocking. I'm not being facetious. I'm not being belligerent. I'm not being belittling. The crew that wants Bailey Zappi is the quarterback. Can I ask you why? Can I ask you seriously why you want that? I was getting texts from my buddy, really good friend of mine, diehard Patriots fan, bigger Patriots fan than me. And he was texting me throughout the game yesterday, put Zappi in, Mac sucks. Hey, is it too late to bring in Zappi? Or can we take Mac out now? Or what do you got to say now for your boy? And I'm just thinking to myself as he's texting me, why do you want this? Why do you want to see Zappy? Because you know what? Here's the reality. Bailey Zappy is a worse version of Mac Jones. That It's that simple. I know he won a few games last year against bad teams and bad quarterbacks, right? Like, he beat Jacoby Brissett. And he beat Jared Goff before the Lions had figured anything out and when they had six guys on defense gone. It's like, I know... That Bailey Zappi won a couple of games. But be honest with yourself. 
He is a worse version of Mac Jones. He moves a little bit better, but he's more inexperienced from a worse college program. He also doesn't have a great arm. He did not play well in the preseason. The same bad personnel or underwhelming personnel that is holding back Mac Jones in this team is going to be there for Bailey Zappi. This isn't like Zappi comes in and all of a sudden these players grow wings. That's not how this goes, right? You have C personnel. You have a C quarterback in Mac Jones. You have a slightly less version of a C quarterback in Bailey Zappi. So if that is the case, then why not just stick with Mac? He's the guy you've drafted. He's the guy you invested in. He's the guy you've built this for. He's the guy the offense is tailored to. Mac Jones needs to remain the quarterback. There's nobody else. If you had a first-round pick behind Mac Jones, I would say go for it. If you had a wily veteran behind Mac Jones, I could say maybe. But you don't have that. You have Zappi and Will Greer, and that's it. Mac Jones has to be the guy. Okay, There's no point in going to Zappi at all other than for the sake of making a change, and I'm not at that point yet. If the Patriots are 2-10, and 10, then maybe I'm making a change for the sake of making a change. But right now, Mac Jones is the guy, at least for this year. If you don't want him to be the guy for next year, then we can talk about it. If you want to draft a quarterback, then we can talk about it. If you want them to trade for a quarterback, we can talk about it. But for the 2023 Patriots, there are no other chess moves left on the board. They're not trading for Kirk Cousins. They're not trading for another team's quarterback. They're not signing Cam Newton or Colin Kaepernick or whoever, or Matt Ryan or Phillip Rivers or whoever's out there that you think might work. And Tom Brady's not coming back either. So Mac Jones is the guy for 2023. He should be the guy for 2023. And maybe we can get the final answer on Mac Jones so we know whether or not we're going to pay him $45 million a year. And, oh, by the way, right now, that's a hard pass from me. But we got 13 games left. Give him a chance. The crew who want Zappy out there, I truly want to know where you're coming from. You're upset. You're disappointed. You're angry. You want changes. I do get that. But Bailey Zappi's not better than Mac Jones. Bailey Zappi is a worse version of what you've already got. Texter says, have the players given up on Mac Jones? I don't think they had going into yesterday. And I don't, and I think they got beat 38 to 3. Right? The team got beat 38 to 3. The defense struggled. The offensive line struggled. Mac struggled. The play calling struggled. I think everybody in that locker room from yesterday would look at it and say it's not one guy's fault, right? When we look at the Jets weeks two through four, eh, weeks two and three, not so much yesterday. Zach Wilson played fairly well second quarter on yesterday. When we look at the Jets weeks two and three, I think people in the Jets locker room could say, man, we're really good if not for that guy. And I think there's resentment there. I don't think that's the case for the Patriots because nobody was good for the Patriots. It's not like the defense can look at it yesterday and say, hey, we did our job. If only that quarterback didn't suck. I don't think that's the case. So maybe they'll be out on him at some point, but I don't think they're out on him yet. And I think the organization should stick with Mac, and then we evaluate where we're at in the offseason. 2024 is supposed to be a great college quarterback class. Maybe you get deep into that. Maybe you're willing to move on from Mac, but you don't do it right now. But I will say, as I've said, 
the drumbeat about Mac Jones' future is growing louder. It started out as just us talking about You hear it in the intro, right? Mac Jones talk, or I say something in the intro to the effect of Mac Jones might be fighting for his NFL life. It's true. Okay? Baker Mayfield was fighting for his NFL life. He flamed out in Cleveland, flamed out in Carolina, got one last chance in Tampa. Seems to be making the most of it. They're three and one. Sam Darnold got one last chance in Carolina. Flamed out. Now he's a backup. That could be Mac Jones. Right? Teddy Bridgewater. Franchise quarterback took the Vikings to the playoffs. Injury, perpetual backup now. Okay, there are guys, Mitch Trubisky, right? He got his chance in Pittsburgh last year. Backup, okay, backup. He finished the game yesterday because Pickett got injured, but backup. Like, that's what Mac Jones is fighting to avoid becoming. The drum beat is going loud, is growing louder. Kevin Burkhart, Greg Olson are on the call yesterday for Fox. They're talking about Mac's future, saying maybe he's not the guy. I'll be interested to see how Mac Jones responds to that because now it's everybody. It's not just us who he's never heard of. Now everybody's talking about Mac. They're all talking about his future, and they're all wondering what it is. It's a tough place to be in if you're Mac Jones. I don't envy that position, but it is like we are getting down to this season being a really, real. I mean, this is, this is the year for him, okay? The Daniel Jones, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, make it, break it year, this is it. And right now, Mac Jones is not passing the test, and the team is not passing the test. Danny, at commercial, you asked a very interesting question. Go ahead and ask it again on the air. Yeah, I've seen this posed on either podcast or on TV, but it's if you drop Mac Jones into uh, the Niners system, does he look just as good as Brock Purdy? Yes, 100%. 100%. That's what we talked about, though, right? You can be a C quarterback. Right, like let's just let's just call this what it is, right? C quarterbacks in C situations don't look very good. Okay, I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head here. Justin Fields is a guy I think has more talent, but I may end up being wrong on him. So we'll say he's a C right now. Well, the talent around him right now doesn't look great, and we have real questions about the coaching around him, and therefore the product is what it is for Justin Fields, and he doesn't look very good, right? You have a quarterback right now that's a C that's not being given things on the outside to help, and that's the result that you get. Brock Purdy very well might be a C quarterback, but he is in the ultimate A situation. He's got the best offensive play caller and coach in the league in Kyle Shanahan. He's got Christian McCaffrey, who is the best running back weapon in the league, He's got Debo Samuel. He's got Brandon Ayuk. He's got George Kittle, who might be the best tight end in the league, not named Travis Kelsey. And, oh, by the way, he's got one of the top defensive players in the league in Bosa. They've got Fred Warner. I mean, and a dynamite kicker in the pass in Robbie Gold. Like, Brock Purdy is in an A situation. And, oh, by the way, he's in a division, Brock Purdy, that right now is immensely winnable. Arizona is down. The Rams are... I think a little better than I thought, but they're down. And Seattle is probably slightly above average. But, like, Mac Jones is in a division where it was supposed to be Josh Allen, Tua, and Aaron Rodgers. Mac Jones is in a tougher division than Brock Purdy is. If Mac Jones played for Kyle Shanahan and played in good weather in that division in a bad conference, which the NFC has been, and then 
had all that help, I think Mac Jones would be excellent because he'd be a C quarterback in an A situation. And like I said, Ryan Tannehill was the number one seed in the AFC playoffs, right? He had he had Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, and that got him the number one seed. I mean, that's Ryan Tannehill. I've seen Mitch Trubisky, speaking of him, get to – Mitch Trubisky's been in the playoffs twice. Whether you think he's good or bad or not, he's been in the playoffs twice. So he's been able to take advantage of some things in his career when he was in good situations. The Patriots aren't that, and they're not putting Mac in that. Let's just continue here with Mac. I'm kind of on a roll with this right now. I'm not a fan of what Mac Jones had to say after the game yesterday, Danny. It depends on how you look at it, I think, for sure. Uh, just I'm very competitive, and I put a lot into it, and I feel really bad. I let my team down, let the coaches down the whole organization, everybody, the fans. So we got a great fan base, and i got to put a better product out there to, to be good teams. So I'm going to take the positive route as best I can, and um, hopefully it brings the best out of me. You know, I don't want to be cynical. I don't. But I'm kind of done with Mac's over-accountability act. It kind of rings hollow to me, Danny. Wait, wait, wait. I, Would I get... you rather have him pull a Zach Wilson from last year and say, uh, no, I didn't let anybody down? No, I like guys who are accountable. I like guys who are willing to put it on them. I like guys who don't deflect blame. That is all true. But we are now hearing this from Max so often that it kind of just rings hollow to me, right? Again, I'd rather him blame himself than blame everybody else. It is the right thing to do. But it kind of ceases to be noble when it's an every week occasion, right? After week one, he's like, this loss is all on me, and I lost the game for us. It's like... Look, we get it. You care, you're accountable, you're doing the quarterback thing. Now I want to be shown and not told. Right? Have you ever heard of somebody, you ever have a buddy who's in a relationship and the relationship probably isn't so great and they keep fighting and every time, you know, the the, the opposite member of the relationship is like, hey, I'm really sorry, this is all me, all, all our problems are me, I'll, I'll be better. Well, guess what? That was great the first time, it was probably good the second time, the third time, fourth time, fifth time, you know what? Don't stop telling me. Just show me now that something's different. And that's kind of where I'm at with Mac Jones. I have heard this before. Okay? Danny, you, I, I pulled some audio from April of this year. Right? Chris Sale. April of this year. This is, this, Mac Jones is in the Chris Sale playbook. Go ahead. This was Sale, April 25th. Again, I could, I could sit here and, you know, try to find something, but it's just, you know, it's pretty black and white. You know, you either get it done or you don't. Unfortunately, for the most part this year, I haven't got it done. So, um, again, you just got to keep working. But saying the try hard league is a do good league. So, you know, people only care so much about trying hard, working hard. So, it's got to be out there when the lights flick on. You know, I got to, I got to step up. I got to find a way. That's, that's who I am. That's who I have to be. Now that was sale in April of this year, but I could have pulled a cut from July of last year and from. September of the year before that of Chris Sale saying, hey, I stink, and I, I'm I'm no good, and this is terrible, and it's frustrating. And, like, the first two times, I'm like, wow, that guy, you know what? He's accountable. He's out there for his teammates. He's battling. He can't find it. I appreciate him stepping up and answering the questions. That's true. But by the third, fourth, and fifth time, I'm kind of over it. I need to be this – is, this is a game now of show, not tell. And that's where I'm at with Mac Jones. Show, not tell. I have heard it before. I have heard it before. Will in Plattsburgh says, 
You make a good point, Brady. I don't know what my good point is, but thank you. I will just assume that I made one, so I appreciate that. Uh, I don't know what I don't know what he's referring to, but maybe Will can let me know there. But again, I I just yeah, Danny, I appreciate it, but it's show not tell. Can you understand where I'm coming from there? Yeah, and I believe he's trying, but I also believe he's not good enough. So he, he's he's not good enough in this situation. And again, you know, it's interesting because. All along, everybody's been telling me Mac is good enough. And I've been on the other side saying, no, he's not. Now that more people are coming on to my side, I feel bad about piling on the guy. I do. He's not good enough to overcome this, right? He's not good enough to over. So, like, 2021, the Jets are a dumpster fire, and Miami's not as good, right? Miami's not as good. So Mac capitalizes on a weaker division. Banks some wins, has McDaniels, has a team that I believe, as I remember his rookie year, had a better offensive line. Um, I don't remember all the offensive weaponry his rookie year, but it was just a, it was a better situation. And he was able to ride that to the playoffs. And I think they won 10 games, 10 and 7, I believe. And then last year, it's not good enough to overcome that. Most people aren't good enough to overcome that coaching situation, lack of talent, injuries. Now, this year, they made it easier for him with Bill O'Brien, but the talent the talent gap has widened, and the division has gotten better, and now Mac is bad in an adverse situation where he's not good enough to get out of it. A lot of people in sports aren't special, right? A lot of people need things to go their way. Mac is one of those guys. He is a jag, a just a guy. He's not the guy. He's just a guy. And it's it's... Now that everybody's starting to see that, I feel bad for piling on the guy. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Um, John says Tom Brady couldn't win with this Patriots team. Um, he could do better. Tom Brady now at 45 would struggle with this Patriots team. If Tom Brady were Mac Jones's age, I think Tom Brady would had a better chance. If Tom Brady was 33... And with this team, I think Tom Brady could win. I think that's fair, right? If Tom Brady was in his third year and not yet the GOAT, I think Brady would have a better chance. Wouldn't be 15-2, and two, but he'd have a better chance. Tom Brady at 45, I do think would struggle. I think it could look a lot like this. Tom Brady, if he's in his prime, well, then I think all bets would be off, right? Because he would be a guy who could elevate, like a Mahomes, like a Herbert, like a Rodgers. Um. I'm going to leave the Patriots aside now. Um, we'll get back to the Patriots probably tomorrow, the next day, the next day, the next day. Right? We'll talk about the Patriots more this week. But I do want to make sure that I take a very different turn in the show today. I want to slow it down for a bit. I want to make sure we get to this. Red Sox legend Tim Wakefield passed away after a battle with brain cancer at the age of 57. And if this came as a shock to you, you're not alone. It came as a shock to me as well. It came as a shock to people who pay attention to the Red Sox. So last week, I didn't even know Tim Wakefield was sick, right? I had made kind of a mental note to myself that Tim Wakefield hadn't been on Nesson for a while this year. I had heard him earlier in the season, hadn't heard him recently. I'd made kind of a note to myself, oh, Tim Wakefield hasn't been there. And I didn't think much of it. Well, last week, Kurt Schilling, former Red Sox pitcher, 
divulged Wakefield's sickness on Kurt Schilling's own podcast, right? Wakefield had brain cancer. Kurt Schilling divulged it. He was not supposed to. He was not authorized to. What a terrible thing to do to make somebody's last days this public and this miserable. Awful thing by Schilling. But Schilling put out the information. That came out on either Thursday or that was Thursday of last week. That was the first even I knew that Wakefield was sick. And on Sunday he was gone at the age of 57. And this is tough for a lot of people in our area. Tough for a lot of Red Sox fans worldwide, for a lot of baseball fans worldwide. Tim Wakefield spent 19 years in the big leagues, two with Pittsburgh, actually got Cy Young votes with Pittsburgh, 17 years with Boston, two-time World Series champion, all-star, um, Roberto, uh, Roberto Clemente award winner, which is basically like the Walter Payton man of the year. It's kind of the, the ultimate good guy in baseball. Tim Wakefield won that award. Our buddy Tom Karen at Neston was on TV yesterday, and he put together a beautiful video tribute talking more about Wakefield and his accomplishments. Wakefield retired after the 2011 season and holds the Red Sox records for starts and innings pitched. He ranks second in strikeouts and pitching appearances and third in wins, trailing only Cy Young and Roger Clemens. I have to thank the Red Sox organization for giving me the best 17 years of my life. In 2012, he joined the Nesson broadcast team and immediately won over fans with his unbridled passion for the game and love of the team. Wakefield was honorary chairman of the Red Sox Foundation and had been team captain of the Jimmy Fund. He spent countless hours helping numerous charities. No one loved the Red Sox more or did more to use the power of sports to help people in need. Field, as TC said, worked at Nesson, and TC is going to be with us on Wednesday. We'll obviously ask him about this, but I know that TC is gutted by by everything, um, and this is horrible news. Now, I, I will be honest with you all. I wasn't here in Vermont, in New England, for any of Wakefield's Red Sox tenure. Um so until I really went and looked it all up and listened to the tributes and heard the words, I hadn't really realized just how good a pitcher Tim Wakefield was or how good a guy Tim Wakefield was. I mean, 200 wins. I didn't know Tim Wakefield hit 200. And look, I know a lot about baseball, and I knew a lot about Wakefield. I didn't know all the particulars, though. 200 wins, I had no idea. Over 3,000 innings thrown, starting, relieving, saves, wins, the selflessness of him leaving himself off the 2007 World Series roster, all the charity work. Tim Wakefield, a Red Sox Hall of Famer. I knew he was good. I didn't even realize he played 19 years. I didn't even realize he pitched until he was 44. And I certainly didn't know all the off-field stuff. This is a really tough loss for Red Sox Nation. It's a really tough loss for a lot of people, right? Danny, we've got the audio. Kevin Euclid breaking down. Lou Merloni breaking down. TC breaking down. Pete Abraham of the Boston Globe breaking down. Alex Cora. Danny, can you play? I'll give you a second to find it. Can you play the Jason Veritek audio? I think it's Jason Veritek number one. Jason Veritek in the clubhouse yesterday after the game. I mean, this is Jason Veritek, a tough guy. I saw someone say he's as tough as a $2 steak. Moved to tears yesterday talking about Tim Wakefield, Danny. I've always said it, Wake. He exemplifies what this uniform is. And it's not just the name on the back, it's the name on the front. 
It's what he's done in the community, the way he's represented it, where he's respected the game, which goes on to the whole league of being a precious part of what we do. It's a terrible loss, and again, because I wasn't here and I don't have that long Red Sox fandom, this is going to hit me differently than it hits some of you, for sure. Um, the thing I can say about Tim Wakefield, and I, and I mean this dearly, is that Tim Wakefield was a cultural icon. And it might not have felt that way because he was flashy. To you, he might have just been a Red Sox pitcher who was pretty good. To you, he might have just been a Red Sox pitcher who was there for a long time, who you were happy to see win the 04 World Series after he had given up the Aaron Boone home run in 2003. But for someone who was not a Red Sox fan at that time of my life, I truly mean this. Tim Wakefield was a cultural icon. You talk about growing up, playing wiffle ball in the backyard, right? Guys wanted to waggle the bat like Griffey. Guys wanted to waggle the bat like Gary Sheffield. And guys my age wanted to throw the knuckleball like Tim Wakefield. And that is among the greatest impacts that somebody could leave, right? Again, it's going to hit me differently. Some of you I know are very, very emotional because you watched the entirety of Tim Wakefield's career. I didn't. But what I can tell you is that every kid who played in the backyard, and I played there every day for a couple of summers, every kid who played on a team and played catching the outfield before a game was throwing the knuckleball, and was throwing it because of Tim Wakefield. Tim Wakefield popularized the knuckleball, right? Like, there have been knuckleballers, right, in my life, or in baseball. My dad's a Wilbur Wood fan, Tom Candiotti after him. But for a generation of fans, Tim Wakefield popularized the knuckleball. If you are between, man, if you're between 28 and 45, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay, Tim Wakefield was somebody that you always emulated, right? I would go out in the backyard. I would play wiffle ball. I'd throw the knuckleball. I'd have the small leg kick just to try to get it to move like he did. I had teammates who threw knuckleballs in games that are learning it because of Tim Wakefield, or they saw that it could work because of Tim Wakefield. Here's a guy who didn't throw hard, who didn't have, quote, stuff, but pitched 19 years in the big leagues, and he did it largely with one amazing pitch that almost nobody can master. The Jimmy Fund work, the charity work, the ultimate good guy, that's the real legacy. But from a baseball standpoint, World Series champion and cultural icon. The tributes poured in yesterday. They were extensive. They came from all corners of baseball. And... uh, They were a pleasure to read and listen to. I never had a chance to talk to Tim Wakefield. I now wish that I had. Tim Wakefield at 57. Rest in peace. Brady Barker Show is back next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Kevin says, thanks for the words about Tim Wakefield. I literally cried in the car when I heard it. I, I can imagine that there were plenty of people who cried 
when they heard it. Um, plenty of fans. I mean, it was extremely evident the people that knew him, played with him, worked with him, how shook up they were. Right again, Eucalyptus was crying. Veritek was crying. I saw the, the post from Jonathan Papelbon and Kevin Millar and even Fred Lind, guys who were in the extended, who were in the Red Sox family, and Merloni. Those guys were all shook up because they had a chance to be around him. But for the general fan, I, I'm absolutely positive that there were people who were crying when they heard this news. Again, depending on your age, Tim Wakefield very well might have been your favorite player. And depending on your age, Tim Wakefield very well might have been, you know, part of your entire childhood or part of your entire path of growing up, right? Like so often who we resonate with or who resonates with us are the people who kind of go along some journey with us, right? Like why is Ken Griffey Jr. my favorite player? He was the best player in baseball, but he's the guy I was watching from age five until age 20, right? And like you grew, I grew up with Ken Griffey Jr., and yes, Wakefield wasn't that caliber of player, but for somebody, he had that kind of impact. Will says, rest in peace, Wake. Best knuckleballer, but a wonderful human, a true professional. And he was great on the Nesson broadcast as well. We will try to transition as easy, as, as difficult as that is. We will try to do it um, nicely and eloquently. Nick Mumley from uh, the Inside Groove podcast and our WDEV racing analyst is going to be with us momentarily here to talk about the Vermont Milk Bowl yesterday, which was won by Stephen Donahue. But I do want to just get a quick thought in on the Celtics trade, right? Over the weekend, we got word that the Celtics had traded two draft picks, Robert Williams and Malcolm Brogdon, for Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday, the longtime defensive specialist in this league, five times an all-defensive player in the NBA. We're going to do a lot of Celtics talk tomorrow. we got Keith Smith coming on, longtime writer over at Celtics blog. So we're going to get his opinion on everything. My gut, my gut is this, my first reaction, without talking to everybody, without listening to everything on this, my first reaction is that I feel really good, Danny, about where the Celtics are. Okay, Media day was today. Preseason games are going to start here soon. My gut reaction is that after acquiring Drew Holiday, I feel really good about where the Cs are. I think they are better than they were at the end of last season. I do think they're a little light on depth. I do worry about depth, bench play, possible injuries, rotations, etc. But I do think they are better than they were when they ended the season. For comparison, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Kristaps Porzingis, Drew Holiday, Al Horford, Derek White. That's the Celtics' top six. Now, that's a top six that I think is better than where we were last season. Tatum, Brown, Marcus Smart, Malcolm Brogdon, Horford, White, Rob Williams, and then Grant Williams in there as well. What you'll notice is that second grouping from last year had eight players in it, right? More depth last year. But I do think with this Drew Holiday move, the Celtics have addressed a number of the remaining concerns that I had, okay? Marcus Smart, they lost him as the point guard. They replaced him with Drew Holiday. They were lost Marcus Smart, the defender. They replaced him with Drew Holiday. And you know what? Drew Holiday is a better version of Marcus Smart. It might hurt to say that given what Smart has meant. Drew Holiday is a little older than Marcus Smart, but he is a better version of what we all think Marcus Smart is. Holiday averaged 19 points a game last year. Marcus Smart averaged 12. He's a better scorer. Drew Holiday averaged 7.5 assists last year. Smart averaged 6.5. 
He's a facilitator as a point guard as well. Holiday shot 38% from three last year. Smart shot 33%. So you look at the Celtics now. They've still got size, Horford and Porzingis. They've still got scoring ability, right? They got five, six guys that can get a bucket anytime they want. And they've got, they answered the point guard question, at least at the starting level with Holiday. Holiday's a better point guard than Smart. He's a better point guard than Brogdon all-encompassing, and he plays great defense. Again, a five-time defensive all-NBA player. There are questions about depth, and those questions are real about seventh guy on the roster, eighth guy on the roster. What is Peyton Pritchard and Jordan Walsh, the young kid out of Arkansas who they drafted this year, and O'Shea Brissett and all the guys, and, and can Sam Hauser have a bigger role? role. There, are, there are questions, but in terms of a top six and a playoff-style rotation, Danny, I feel pretty good about where the Celtics are. Maybe Keith Smith will sway me a different direction. Maybe somebody will, maybe Freddie later this week will sway me in a different direction. But right now, my gut tells me to embrace this and feel good about it. You're Mr. Celtic, Danny. How do you feel about this, you know, two days removed from it happening? Yeah, there's no question they're a championship level roster right now. And like you said, depth it might be an issue. They need probably 10, 11, 12 guys for an 82-game regular season because injuries will happen. Um, but when the playoffs start, they got probably the, some of the best eight guys you could possibly go into the playoffs with. I just named six. Who are you including in your eight there? Are you well, talking I mean, about Hauser maybe not, and Maybe not eight yet, but they're going to have to figure that out, right? Those are the next couple guys. Will Pritchard step up? Will Sam Hauser step up, like you said? Will they need to make a trade for a seventh, eighth guy? Uh, I don't know. Because they don't have much yeah. flexibility left. Now, Brad Stevens said earlier today, and we can talk more about this tomorrow again because I want to get to Nick here in a second, but Brad Stevens said earlier today they still have the flexibility to go out and do things, right? They have a lot of second-round draft picks for whatever those are worth in the NBA. They also have a lot of firsts that they control on their own. So I guess there are some moves on the table for them, especially maybe, look, the buyout market. Like I would also think the Celtics are going to be a pretty darn good team this year. And, other players are going to see them as a championship contender. So the buyout market come around the All-Star break could be ripe for them to go and get some guys with. They might be able to make some deadline trades to go bring in some depth pieces. So, again, there are still some holes here. I think they're a little light in the front court. But overall, I'm inclined to feel good about this. And three months ago when they traded Marcus Smart, I ripped Brad Stevens kind of, what are you doing? Three months later, they're... They've answered that question, as far as I'm concerned. So we'll do much more Celtics tomorrow, but uh, I do like the moves as they stand today. Right now, I want to go out to the phone line. Yesterday, I was watching the Patriots. I should have gone to Thunder Road. Danny, we should have gone to Thunder Road rather than watch the Patriot game. Joining us now is uh, Nick Mumley, our WDEV Racing Insider, our racing analyst. He was at Thunder Road watching the 61st Annual Vermont Milk Bowl, another Great day of racing at the nation's side of excitement. Nick, thank you for being with us. How are you? Not bad, Brady. How's it going on this Monday? Uh, well, you've given me a 10 to 12 minute reprieve here from, <laughs> from Patriots conversation. You, as a, as a Patriots fan that has absolutely hate watched every single bit of their season so far, 
I was very happy to miss their game yesterday, especially when I saw the final score. <laughs> yeah, it, it was as ugly as you could imagine based on the final score. What wasn't ugly was the ongoings at the 61st uh, annual Vermont Milk Bowl yesterday at Thunder Road. And Stephen Donahue just continuing a year for the ages here. King of the road, Milk Bowl champion. I'm sure you've got the stats, but it seems like a fairly rare occurrence, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it's... It, it, Used to be really rare. Um, Jason Corliss did it in 2020, and he became just the second guy since they moved to the current ACT late models in 1996 um, to ever pull it pull it off. Um, and, you know, it was just him and Chris Michaud who owns the track for a very long time. And then Chris Pelkey did it last year, and now Stephen Donahue has done it. So it happens, you know, once between 1996 and 2020 and now it's happened three times since 2020 so maybe it's a little bit of a trend going on here but um you know it's it's simply been incredible to see what Stephen Donahue's been able to do especially in the second half of this season talk to me a little bit about his breakout and I don't want to undersell it because he's always been good he's always been accomplished but I mean this is a next level year and a big time next step for him talk to me about his evolution and his growth Oh, for sure. Um, I, I mean, you know, I, I was talking with him about this last week on my podcast. You know, last year at the championship race, 2022, um, he came across the line, you know, and flipped upside down and the fuel tank ruptured on his car and burst into flames while he's upside down. He had to unstrap himself um, out of his car. So basically he fell onto the uh uh, onto the roof of it and climb out and, and all this, that, and the other thing. But he won the race and he broke his arm and it, it was kind of the, he was thrust into the spotlight almost on that day. Um, and then, you know, he went out and won the championship over at Riverside Speedway just across the border in New Hampshire a couple nights after that. And then this year he comes out and he was planning on wanting, running one race at Thunder Road this year, running Riverside full time, um, and picked up this. Uh, he picked up a big sponsor, and you know they've they allowed him to run the full year at Thunder Road, and he goes out and wins the championship. And not only does that, but he wins the championship at Riverside as well, and the Milk Bowl. So I mean, we've just seen him grow up and mature a ton over this last year. He's gone from a guy who's had this reputation of being, you know, having a short fuse and, and not racing with his head as much as, uh, you know, everybody else does in the field. Um, and, and the guys that he really needed to beat, um, you know, to win these big, uh, big races, big events. And within that last year, I mean, we've seen him go through a whole lot of stuff that, you know, uh, any racer might not experience in their lifetime. And, you know, he's done a lot of growing up and clearly the, experience that he's gained I think in the last 12 calendar months has allowed him to be at this point right here talk to me about what else you saw at the milk bowl yesterday obviously it was a great race it was close Jason Woodard of Waterbury second or uh, I'm looking at the uh, the wrong division there Nick Sweet of Barry was second Chris Pelkey of Graniteville finished in third Marcel Gravel of Wolkett was fourth and DJ Shaw out of New Hampshire that rounds out the top five what else kind of stood out to you from racing yesterday yeah I mean um, you can't ask for anything more um, from a milk bowl than what we saw yesterday. I mean, great racing all day. It was 80 degrees yeah. on the first day of October. Uh, you know, just a couple of clouds in the sky. I mean, literally the perfect milk bowl day. Um, and, you know, we get down to the final segment and going into that last segment, Stephen Donahue and Chris Pelkey were tied at seven points. 
Nick Sweet had 11. DJ Shaw had 13. So you had four guys that realistically had a shot. Two guys were tied for the lead. It made for a segment that a final segment that had everybody's heart racing, everybody, you know, up and out of their seats, uh, just incredible stuff. And, um, you know, Steven showed it, so, some awesome emotion getting out of the car and, and celebrating with his team afterwards uh, and, and kissing the cow, which is the, mm-hmm. the special tradition. Um, you know, it's just everything you could ever ask for out of a milk bowl. Nick Bumley with us here, WDEV Racing Insider, also the Inside Groove podcast host. He's here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Let me ask a total newbie question, but it is something that I'm interested in here. So on the Thursday night program at Thunder Road, these races are done twilight hours into the night, and it's an afternoon and night schedule. Does the prepara- yes. How does the preparation change everything here, given it's an earlier morning, it's earlier racing, it's done, you know – completely in the sun does it change anything from a prep or driving standpoint just kind of the schedule change here for the milk bowl well that's actually a pretty good question for a newbie brady i'll give you that um get lucky once in a while and the answer is yes it does um you know so at night the track cools down because at night obviously even in the summertime you know if it's an 80 degree day you know in in the middle of july you know it's probably going to dip down to 65 70 at night so the track's going to cool off a little bit when you are out in the sun and the sun's shining on that racetrack and there's no cloud cover and it's 80 degrees, that track is hot and slick. It's really tough to find the grip that you need. Um, and so it, it creates a, a different racing surface. You know, usually the, we talk about it's typical, it's tough to pick the winner of the milk bowl and try to judge it from the winner of Labor Day because the weather is so different in the beginning of September to the beginning of October that um, you know, with the track conditions, like it's a night, it's like racing on a completely different racetrack. Um, same thing with Thursday nights. I mean, uh, you get this track out in the sun, you get it hot and slick. It's going to be, it's going to handle and, you know, drive for these racers completely different than it would on, you know, a Thursday night, uh, at any time of the year. So yeah, the way, a lot of what they do at the racetrack, you know, when you see the, the teams working on the cars and the, and the drivers making adjustments, it's, trying to adjust the car to the weather conditions and what those weather conditions are doing to the racetrack. You know, we focus on the milk bowl when it comes to the late models all the time. I don't know that I've ever asked you ever about the mini milk bowls that go on, but talk to me a little bit about the flying tigers, mini milk bowl, rich Lowry of South hero won that one. We also saw in the street stocks, Josh lovely of Williamstown get the win scrap uh, in the uh, road warriors, Nate, uh, Brian, uh, or Brian of Williamstown won it. Fred Fleury of Graniteville was second. Talk to me a little bit about what you saw in some of the lower divisions. Yeah, I mean, I think this was the second straight year that the Tigers have almost stole the show um, at the Milk Bowl with their final segment. Um, you know, this was a crazy race. Jason Woodard has the win by, I think, four or five points. Like, he had it locked up with five laps to go in this race. Right front tire goes down on his car, five laps from the checkered flag. Um, so he's out of it. They re-rack him, run him for a restart, and, you know, they, they go around and looks like Jason Pelkey is going to win it out of Barry. And he's go, they go into the third corner, and two cars get together. One of them slides back up right in front of the track, and guess who is sitting there trying to get around the rack on the outside? Jason Pelkey destroys the 64 car. Red flag comes out. Only person that made it through, I, I think, what was the 10 or 12 car wreck, was Rich Lowry. Rich Lowry is the Milk Bowl champion. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, the, the Tigers 
put on a wild show every year in the Milk Bowl. I mean, last year, Logan Powers beat Justin Prescott, and they were sideways and in the wall all the way to the checkered flag um, in that one. So Tigers put on a great show as well. Josh Lovely came back. He's been gone for most of the year uh, for Thunder Road. He came back and, and won in the street stocks. They had a couple of, of good segments. And, yeah, uh, we call him Tater over at Thunder Road. Um, but Nate Bryan – He's he's never finished a mini milk bowl in the Warriors. He's been he's been racing Warriors for probably five or six years now. This is the first milk bowl he's ever finished, and sure enough, he won. Season is over at Thunder Road right now. Talk to me a little bit about kind of the off season is from a racing standpoint. I imagine these guys and, and women will take some time off, but when does the calendar start for them again in terms of trying to get new sponsors for 2024, trying to get bigger sponsors, trying to get better equipment, trying to repatch up your car or get a new car or whatever how long an off season is it truly it might be six months before we see them race again but what's the schedule yeah. look like oh it's already underway um <laughs> you know I, I was talking to guys last night um after the race saying oh yeah these are you know I, i've talked to these guys they're going to sponsor me next year you know this that and the other thing um i mean if i mean there are people getting home from the milk bowl today on monday they're probably not going to tear the car apart today or, you know, put any plan in action, but they have a plan of what they're going to do. Um, there's not a lot of people right now that kind of have it up in the air. They're not sure. Um, you know, it is a long off season. You know, we won't see these cars back on the track until May, but uh, in order to come out, out of the gates firing, which you have to, if you want to be successful at Thunder Road in a season long points championship, um, the preparation has to start today. Uh, you know, what, what are we going to do? Um, how are we going to make it better? And, and, you know, how can we bring more funding in? How can we make the car faster? You know, all the all the assets of, uh, of a racing team, you know, how can you improve it? Nick Mumley, WDEV Racing Insider and Analyst. You heard him all season long on our Thunder Road coverage with our guy, Greg Titus. You can check him out in the off season or go back and listen to past episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or the Inside Groove Podcast. He is the only guy in Vermont racing talking about Vermont racing every week. And, Therefore, he does it better than anybody else. So, Nick, man, much appreciated you being a part of our show, being a part of our station, and we'll catch up again down the road. Absolutely. Sounds good. Thank you. Absolutely. There goes Nick Mumley, our guy, our WDEV racing insider. And uh, him and Greg Titus did a great job. You know, I've broadcasted live sports before, right? I've I've broadcasted football. I've broadcasted hockey. I've broadcasted basketball. And I'm not saying that they're easy. Football is actually incredibly difficult. But I can't really imagine broadcasting racing. And Nick and Greg do it great. They do it great together. So awesome stuff there. And uh, really happy to have them on our team. And for for those of you that went yesterday, uh, I'm happy for you, too, because it was ugly for us that stayed and watched the Patriots game. Absolutely horrific for those of us who stayed and watched the Patriots game. In hindsight, we should have had the Washington and Philly game go go a lot longer into overtime so that we had to see less of the Patriots game. But, uh, Danny, I was in the Adirondacks. I didn't get to see, like, at first, like the first five minutes of the game. Did you end up seeing the whole thing, or did you also get bumped locally? I got bumped as well, but we yeah. didn't miss much. No, we didn't miss much. I went back and watched it all on NFL Sunday Ticket later to see what I had missed just to see the first couple of minutes. And, yeah, it wasn't much, that's for sure. So it was uh, – it was ugly all across the board, and it's 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 ugly now for the team, right? It's ugly for Bill for Bill Belichick, and the questions about his job security. It's ugly about Mac Jones and the questions about his job security, and it's just an ugly spot for the team. And Matthew Judon, I mean, very well might be out for the year. 
very well might be out for the year. Danny, I'm going to do a uh, a quick check here and see if anybody has put out a Matthew Judon update. But I mean, we were talking about maybe uh, – yeah, here you go. Schefter. Christian Gonzalez, Matthew Judon out indefinitely while they seek second opinions. Gonzalez injured his shoulder. Judon a lower bicep tendon tear. That, I mean, right there. That's about as bad as it gets. Okay? That is about as bad as it gets. Um, all right, I went over a little bit on my time here. I was supposed to break and say goodbye to you like 20 seconds ago, so now I have to uh, figure out, do some mental uh, math here in a second and get us out of here. That's going to do it for us, though. I know that. That's the end of the show. Tomorrow we're going to talk a lot of Celtics. Keith Smith, longtime writer over at Celtics Blog, Celtics Insider. Now he's over at Spot Track. There's a lot of stuff with NBA money and stuff. We'll talk about the trade for Drew Holiday, what he thinks of it, what the Celtics might have the ability still to do, what they need. Are my questions about their depth or lack thereof unfounded or perfectly reasonable? We'll talk about all of that. And uh, we'll get to the latest on the Patriots. Again, it's an ugly situation. Full show podcast available, Apple Podcast, Spotify, and WDEVradio.com. My social media account's going to have some clips from the show as well. We'll see you tomorrow on DEV.